Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I am Ashley Bastock, once again here with Chris Fedor. We were both out and practice today at Independence. It is closeout game eve, Chris. So let's just start off really general, like, what are the vibes? That's a popular word these days. What are the vibes <laughs> do you feel like for this team heading into a closeout game, you know, that let's be honest, is a lot coming a lot earlier in this series than I think a lot of people expected. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I think there were a lot of people, actually, that felt like this was probably destined for a seven-game series the minute that the matchup was released. And then when you saw the first two games of the series, too, with the Knicks winning one and then the Cavs winning one, you felt like, okay, this could definitely go to seven. Yeah, present um, company ma- included, right? Like, we, yes. we we thought it would go to seven games. I was looking at a majority of the picks from before the series started for ESPN, and they've got, you know, 30 people that work for that company that predict right. every single series or whatever. And a majority of them picked the Cavs, and I don't think any of them had it going uh, less than six games. So... It is a little bit earlier um, to be talking about this. It's a little bit of a surprise, too, when you're talking about a 4-5 matchup because this was supposed to be, like, the most evenly matched series of all of them and probably the one that was going to be um, the most competitive of all of them, too. And it certainly has not been that case. Um, But it seemed like the vibe was okay. You know, Isaiah Mm -hmm. Mobley was coming over while Donovan Mitchell was doing his um, post-practice availability and Isaiah Mobley was cracking jokes and Evan Mobley seemed to be just as relaxed as he always is. And and I didn't see any change in Donovan or anything along those lines. Um, I was watching some of the guys interact after practice and they were going through some like post-practice shooting drills and they were laughing and joking around. Um, So it seemed like, the the vibe around the team, um, at least today in in practice, was loose, laid back, um, and I think by the time tip off tomorrow night happens, it'll probably be business like because that's just the way that this team has been wired um, from the very beginning of the season. They like to have fun, they like to keep it loose, they like to crack jokes, but they've also shown that when it's time. Um, they can get business-like and they can get nitty-gritty and they can get grimy just like the New York Knicks can. They'll have to bring that. 
Yeah, I really liked this quote from Donovan today, kind of along those lines. He said, typically people think, oh, you're down 3-1. It's supposed to be quiet and tense, but it kind of works the other way. Just understanding that you're playing for the season. We understand what's at stake, but there's no need to put on that added weight, that added pressure. I thought that was a really good and really mature quote, because I think had we gone to practice today and like it had been, you know, really quiet and like just a totally different vibe than we normally see. Like I, I would be a bit more concerned now. Like, do I think this means automatically, Oh, the Cavs are going to force a game six. Like, no, but I do think there is some truth in what he's saying, because like, to me, it, it would almost be like, if it was a total shift in that energy, it's like, are they going to kind of become like the, the batter that goes to the plate and is swinging so hard for the home run, he ends up striking out, you know, to use another yeah. of baseball analogy. But like, that's, it's, it's true. I mean, I, I don't think you necessarily gain something from putting too much pressure on yourself as players. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, <laughs> they fully understand what they're facing. Um, they're well aware of the numbers working against them, 13 and 258. Um, you know, they're fully aware that they haven't played their best basketball to this point. And J.B. Bickerstaff said, for whatever reason, why ever that's happened, um, we haven't played our best. We've only had one good game where we've actually looked somewhat like ourselves, and it was Mm -hmm. game two. So, like, they're aware of all this kind of stuff. They don't need anybody telling them. They don't need um, any added pressure. Like, it's hard enough to come back from 3-1 down in the NBA playoffs um, history is definitely working against them. They're trying to be in the five percent of teams that have been able to do it. You know what I mean? So like, they mm-hmm. they can't just sit there and sulk and say, "Oh man, we're down three <laughs> one. Oh, we did not play well in back to back games against the New York Knicks in New York." Like, they just they can't. Like, yeah, they're human and they have emotions and they're pissed off at this point in time. And they're probably a little bit worried about their season potentially coming to an end earlier than anybody wants. But, you know, they can't just sit there and sulk and feel bad for themselves that this series hasn't gone um, according to their plan at this point. Yeah, so let's talk about why the series maybe hasn't gone according to their plan by, like, discussing the why. Because I know you and I have been talking about this a lot. Like, it feels bit like basically ever since post-game in game four, we've been talking about this. And it's like, the why is this happening? (laughs) Because I think maybe there's like this wider perception of, oh, like the moment's just too big for them or they weren't playing hard enough at certain points in these, you know, last two games, especially, or, oh, I don't know. The Knicks have just figured out a way. But like, I do think there are like, stats that point to like the good things the Caps have done like I'm sure you'll want to get into it but like Evan Mobley Uh has been one of the best players in the playoffs statistically in terms of like his like on and off the court rating and things like that Um, but I think there are legitimate X's and O's things that the Knicks have done to the Cavs that have made them choose in like this the chessboard style of the playoffs some certain things to do that haven't worked out. And I just think there are basketball reasons that like the rebounding is suffering and Donovan Mitchell hasn't been able to like have that superstar kind of game. Like there, yeah. there are reasons to me. Yeah. I'm right there with you. Um, and, and I think the other thing is, okay, imagine playing chess, right. And, and JB Bickerstaff right now is playing chess against Tom Thibodeau. And we've talked about this. 
we talked about it on Sunday night following game four. Like JB has done some things that are bad. Like yeah. he's used some lineups that are very perplexing. His strategy for putting Darius Garland on Jalen Brunson was just not smart. Um, and it completely backfired. And there is right. nobody on the Cavs that has been worse guarding Jalen Brunson than Darius Garland, who has now had the second most possessions of any Cavs player in this series against Brunson. Like, that's just crazy. Man, yeah. Can't happen. Can't happen. And then the third guy that has guarded him the most is Jetty Osman, who has been the second worst player guarding Jalen Brunson. So Jimmy's got to avoid those kinds of blunders. Um, in saying that, like imagine playing chess, and I'm not like a chess master, so I don't know the 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 um all the pieces all that mm -hmm. well. But like imagine playing chess and like the only thing that you can move around the board is a pawn. You know, <laughs> how successful do you think you would be in that game of chess? Probably not very successful, right? Right. So I think people have to understand that. If, if, if we've talked all season long about the holes on this roster, the lack of depth on this roster, and the components coming off the bench that have made up the third lowest scoring bench in the entire NBA, and we've talked about all those things being problematic for the Cavs, like why do people assume that there's some magic move out there that J.B. Bickerstaff could make, whether it's with his starting lineup, whether it's with his rotation, that all of a sudden is going to shift this series back in favor of the Cavs. That's the thing, right? It's like, it's not like, and we talked about this on Sunday too, but when the Cavs make the trade for Donovan Mitchell, it's like mm -hmm. the roster suddenly becomes top heavy, but it's not like yep. that's a surprise to anybody. And like you said, they did to some extent try to rectify it and just couldn't. Like the deals right. weren't there. They weren't falling in their favor. Like it was what it was. But yep. I do think now, like, and I talked about this on Sunday too, like the Knicks are just like a bad matchup for them, given what they do really well. And maybe this right. goes another way. If and what the Cavs, the Cavs do poorly. Yes. It's like, it's like the worst possible storm to be stuck in the middle of if you are Cleveland. Yeah. Um, and like, I just do think that there is this idea of, like you said, like, oh, there should be an easy solution and JB should be able to figure that out. But like, to me, it comes down to like, this is a roster issue that like the Cavs knew was a roster issue and tried to fix it. And like, it, it's like you want to avoid the overreaction to it and yeah. too, right? Because it's like, yep. you get on Twitter and it's like, fire J.B. Bickerstaff. Like, is Jared Allen really any good? Like all this <laughs> stuff, like Donovan Mitchell is going to be gone in three years. I've had in my mentions already. Yeah. Like, I think it's avoiding that overreaction while also acknowledging right. like, hey, they've exposed some things and it's like a lot of it is depth related. I think a lot of it is related to in this series, the way the Knicks are able to kind of utilize their own pick and roll and switch things up and pull right. Cavs defenders out the way that the Cavs are really only able to get things going by setting like in that high screen and roll game. And then their bigs are out of position to try to contest for offensive rebounds. Like right. it, that to me is like the major issues that again, like how do you pick between those two things? Yep. If you're JV Bickerstaff, like do you stunt your offense and say, well, we can't run those screen and rolls anymore. Or do yep. you take the chance and like 
say, yeah, my guys are going to be out of position sometime to get the rebound, but this is how we're going to get ball movement. Right. And that's the thing. So many people are talking about offensive rebounds. Like, it's just like they don't um, bring the effort. Like, they don't bring the physicality. And and I'll be the first to say, like, Jared Allen needs to be stronger, right? He can't get pushed around. Um, Evan Mobley, same thing. But he's going up against guys that are more physically mature than him. And in terms of NBA playoffs, he's a baby. And babies need to crawl before they walk. And they need to walk before they run. And I know it sounds like I'm making excuses for Evan, but like that's the reality of the situation. Julius Randle is more physically developed. Mitchell Robinson is more physically developed. They've been through more things. They've had more time in the NBA. They've had more time in an NBA weight room. They've had more time um, to develop their body and become what they are. Like Julius Randle at 21 years old was probably getting pushed around on the boards and he was probably not finishing shots at the rim because he couldn't finish through contact and because he was fading backwards or going to the side or he couldn't like create space with his body. You know, that just that's just part of it. That's what happens when you have 21 year old guy that you're relying on as much as the Cavs are relying on Evan Mobley. And in saying all of that, like in terms of on off rating. Um, the Cavs have been like 25 points per 100 possessions worse with Evan Mobley off the court. Um, mm. and, and that's like one of the greatest differentials of, of any player in these playoffs. Like Caleb Martin is number one for the Heat. And then there's Steph Curry. And then there's Jimmy Butler. And there's the usual suspects that you would think about, right? And then right in that mix is Evan Mobley of the Cavs. So it shows that he's still making an impact. He's still a positive difference maker for the Cavs, despite the fact that he can't finish in the lane unless it's a dunk, despite the fact that he is getting pushed around every now and then, and despite the fact that, like, offensively, his shooting numbers aren't great, um, his finishing numbers, like I said, aren't great, uh, the decisions that he's made on the short roll, not all that great either, but he's finding a way to impact this series in a positive, and I don't think we should overlook that simply because... Like there are some other flaws of his at this stage of his development that are still being exposed. And in saying all of that, like to your point, when when you have a stat that says um, 70% of the offensive rebounds that the Knicks collected in game four came off of traps of Jalen Brunson, mm -hmm. um, that speaks to way more than just, well, you didn't hustle enough. You weren't yeah. physical enough. You know what I mean? Like, you were lazy when it came to going after the loose ball. It points to the guys are scrambling around trying to reposition themselves after a very, very uh, strenuous time of trying to guard Jalen Brunson and make things as difficult on him as possible. Like Darius Garland said after game four, when it came to Mitchell Robinson, it's hard for him to do two things at once. So they obviously have a plan to try and pull him away from the basket. But it's the same thing when it comes to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and some of these other guys when it comes to defensive rebounding and finishing these possessions. Like, it's hard to go trap Jalen Brunson and then get yourself back into the proper position against these burly physical dudes of the Knicks to, to keep them off the offensive glass. And oh, by the way, like, the Knicks are the number one offensive rebounding team in the entire NBA. Like, that is a strength of theirs. That has been a strength of theirs all season long. And the Cavs are one of the worst teams at preventing that.
So those things are going to show up in a seven-game series, and they're going to show up even more if the Cavs are going to continue to trap Jalen Brunson, which they have to do yes. because, you know, they don't have a lot of options to guard him one-on-one. Yeah, and that's what I wanted to bring up. This actually transitions nicely into my next point because I decided to pull up, like, the playtype stats on NBA.com. Yeah. And like looking at specifically the isolation stats for ISO ball, like Jalen Brunson is one of the best players in the playoffs at this so far. He's a scoring frequency when he is in isolation, which he's in isolation overall. This has him right now at 24.2% of the time. Uh And scoring frequency during that time is 62.5% of the time. He's (laughs) leading the league 94, the 94.7th percentile. Effective field goal percentage, 69%. Field goal, normal field goal percentage, 61.9%. He's averaging eight and a half points just off that. Like when a guy is doing that, you have to essentially do these things like throw traps at him to try and slow him down because He's it's it's his bread and butter. It's what he right. does. And I think we've seen when they try to throw one on one guys at him, a lot of the times he's still getting to his left, which like yeah. is the top of the scouting report of what you don't want him to do. And specifically when Jetty's guarding him, I know we've noticed that's that's happening oh, a lot. Yeah. Well, so this is the Knicks offensive rating by who is defending Jalen Brunson so far in this series. The Knicks offensive rating. And offensive rating in the NBA, like if you're 115 and above, you're very, very close to like the top, top, top of the league. Like you're very much the Sacramento Kings. Okay. That's 115 and above, basically. The Knicks offensive rating when Darius Garland guards Jalen Brunson, 133.3. When Donovan Mitchell guards Jalen Brunson, 127.9. When Jetty Osman guards Jalen Brunson, 125. Ashley, it's not great. It's the not only great. Two, the only two that have been able to contain Jalen Brunson and make the Knicks offense um, have issues, Karis LeVert and Isaac Okoro. And, like, the Isaac Okoro thing is one of the most complicated situations that the Cavs find themselves in that has been a leverage point since the playoffs started, the Cavs knew it was going to be a leverage point. It's like if he's not knocking down shots and they're completely ignoring him on the def- uh, when they're on the defensive end of the floor and the Cavs are on offense, um, and that allows the Knicks to either pack the paint even more than they already can or use that second defender to throw at either Darius or Donovan to trap them and make things more difficult for them and make them work in tight spaces, then, like, what is J.B. Biggerzaf supposed to do? Just keep sticking with him? You know yeah. what I mean? So, like, yeah, yeah his defense has been very good um, against Brunson. And, obviously, the Knicks struggle when Isaac is out there on the court. But the Cavs' offense struggles when Isaac's out there on the court as well. And the Cavs, we've seen in the first four games, they can't generate enough offense consistently as it is. Now you toss right. Isaac out there. And then it just, like, makes it even more difficult for them to function at that end of the floor. So um, that's the thing that, like, sometimes people just don't consider is that every single decision that a coach is going to make, whether it's Tom Thibodeau or J.B. Bickerstaff or Eric Spolstra or anybody else, um, if the roster is flawed the way that the Cavs is, um, every decision that, that J.B. is going to make or that coach is going to make 
is going to come with some kind of domino effect, some kind of other end of that spectrum that that makes it hard for him to say, I'm going to continue to stick with X player or Y player. Can I say, I think I've changed my mind like overnight that, that now I'm like, maybe he should just throw Isaac back in the starting lineup. <laughs> like, and it, it mainly has to do with what we talked about the last time, which is like, is the benefits on offense like great enough to justify putting Karras right. in your starting lineup versus like what's happening on defense. Now by the right. numbers, Karras is actually not a horrible option to put on Jalen Brunson He's compared not. to some of his teammates. But like, I just wonder if it might be worth it. Number one, to shake things up a little bit. Number two, like, and and this, a lot of this depends on Isaac, which is what makes it hard because you just can't predict what's going to happen. But like, yeah, maybe take a chance that like, hey, they literally aren't guarding him and we're coming back home and it's do or die. Like, do they think Isaac can step up in that moment and knock down some shots? Because again, at the end of the day, the cure to a lot of this is the Cavs knocking down these shots that forces the Knicks to not pack the paint the way they have been. And again, there are other things that the Cavs can do to try and pull defenders out of the paint as well, right? They can take Jared Allen, who's being guarded by Mitchell Robinson, and put him in the screen action. So now all of a sudden Mitchell Robinson's in the screen action out on the perimeter. Um, But that's not a fail safe. Like Tom Thibodeau is not a dummy. Mitchell Robinson's not a dummy. They're going to sag back. You know, yeah, he's going to start at the top of the key or something like that, but he's going to drop back a little bit further after, you know, trying to defend that screening action. Um, So it it does, in a lot of cases, come down to can you make enough shots against the Knicks um, to loosen up that defense? And that's what happened in game two. The Cavs made 14 threes Mm -hmm. in game two, and it forced the Knicks to change their defense a little bit. Um, so if Isaac makes those shots from the corner, those corner threes that he's been getting over and over and over again, like that changes the complexion of the Cavs offense that changes the status quo for Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell, all of a sudden the looks that they've been getting in the last couple of games that are really closely guarded, um, that are very, very difficult because of the space that they're operating with out there on the court are going to be different kinds of looks. And yeah, that would certainly help the Cavs offense. Um, But I'm wondering at this point, like when you're not guarded at all by a team, that can get in your head in a big, big It's so disrespectful. It 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 is like the most disrespectful thing that can happen to you in a game like this. And you're a guy who's out there all by himself, basically taking a warm up three with the eyes on you. And the yeah. defenders basically saying, <laughs> they're basically there's no doing, chance you're making this one, buddy. Like that's They're basically tough. doing the Caitlin Clark hand wave. Like they might as yeah. well just do that because right. that's what it is. Like they they are literally saying, we are not even going to waste the time attempting to close out on you because we know you don't need us to do that to miss. Like it right. is, I mean, it, I, I'm hard pressed to find like a, guy that that wouldn't bother them right on some level maybe it bothers yeah. them for the better but i don't know that's why i think it's a gamble like do you do you want to see if that's the case with isaac i don't know i know you yeah. tried to get at that today and and it's tough it's tough when the guy doesn't talk either well i'm wondering you know going into game five just just what is going to be different when it comes to the Cavs rotation 
Um, because I would hope by now JB has learned that no Ricky Rubio is is best for the Cavs in this particular series, um, especially with the way that the Knicks are guarding the Cavs. So if if he takes Rubio out, and and that's the other thing, like the Cavs are running this series against the Knicks with six players. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the it's the starting it's five. It's like shortened, shortened rotation, basically. Yeah, it's the starting five, the new starting five, with Karras in the in the starting lineup, and then like Jetty Osman, Isaac Okoro combining for one player. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like Ricky Rubio yeah. in Game Four got six minutes, and they were not very good. Uh, Danny Kareen got three minutes, and the Cavs were outscored by eight points in those three minutes. So it's like, when did he do? I don't even remember when in the game he went in. Do you? I remember him picking up a foul. I'm pretty sure it was in the first half at some okay. point. I'm yeah, pretty so sure. That didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. So, okay. If, if Ricky is out of the equation or essentially out of the equation and JB continues to go away from Danny in the way that he has, and maybe he goes back to him and he says like, Hey, we need spacing. We need shooting. Um, we need his veteran know-how. We need a change of pace. Okay, maybe he goes back to him. But, like, what does that mean? Does that mean Lamar Stevens comes into this rotation for game According five? To Twitter, it's what it should mean. Like, does it mean Dean Wade comes back from, from basically yeah. the dead? I, I yeah, don't know. There's not, there's not a magical cure-all on that bench. Right. But let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we can talk more about rotations, more about Game 5. Um, really quick going to plug, once again, Chris's subtext to join that. You can go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. You'll get access to all the subscriber-exclusive content on the site. You will get texts directly from Chris with all his inside information. Um, maybe something to think about before the game tomorrow because he always has stuff pregame that he sends out to his subscribers. Um, so you can go to cleveland.com slash Cavs, blue banner at the top of the page or text 216-208-4499. I'll say all this information again at the end of the episode, but we will be right back after this quick break. And welcome back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Ashley Bastock here with Chris Fedor previewing Game 5 for the Cavs in their first round series against the Knicks on the brink of elimination because, Chris, they are facing a 3-1 deficit. Of course, a very, very, very famous number for Cavs fans. Um, this time it's not going, well, it wasn't going in their favor last time either, but <laughs> it ultimately did. So you obviously covered that 2016 team up close and personal. It was very, very different. But I do think broadly, it kind of gave you an idea of what it takes to come back from a 3-1 deficit in a postseason series. So yeah. it doesn't happen very often historically in the NBA. Like you said it at the before, the percentage is abysmal. What is it again? Yeah. It's like in the teens. Like uh, it's 95% of the teams up 3-1 go on to win. Yeah. Yeah, so even even lower. So yeah. what? how do you feel, I guess, this team is going into that now? And what do you think is most important when you are a team facing a 3-1 deficit to try and overcome that? I think the most important thing, Ashley, to be honest with you, is just belief. Belief that you can. Yeah. Um, I remember being in that locker room following game four of that particular series and the Cavs went down three to one and there was like 
this feeling in the locker room for a short time of, man, we're screwed. Like, look what mm-hmm. we're up against, these Golden State Warriors. Um, and and I think LeBron had a feeling of, we're screwed. But he also, like, goaded Draymond Green into kicking him in the balls. And, and so, like, in the locker room, as it started to trickle throughout the locker room, about the possibility of Draymond being suspended for game five because they were all watching it on their phones and they were looking at the replay and they were seeing kind of like what the buzz was from other NBA related reporters, the national insiders. Once the Cavs started to believe that Draymond was going to be out or possibly out for game five, you could just sense this different shift within them. Like, oh my gosh there is a path to doing this. Like if we had to go to Oracle for game five, down three, one against the full strength warriors, that maybe doesn't go our way. And we probably don't come back here to Cleveland for game six. But once the Draymond thing was out there, they were like, hold on. We go to Oracle for game five, win that one. We know we're coming back for game six and winning that here. They are not winning game six here in Cleveland. And then it just comes down to one game, a game seven on the road. Anything can happen. And we've got LeBron on our side. So there was a belief inside that locker room that they could. And I think that's really, really important when it comes to this Cavs team. And J.B. Vickerstaff was trying to bring up Um, what the Rockets did when he was there with assistant coach Greg Buckner and just like how they took it one game at a time and it's all about game five and just win game five. And that's totally the way that he needs to approach it. Mm -hmm. But um, I got the sense in listening to JB and in listening to Donovan that like, yes, they're down three, one. And they know that there are things that the Knicks have done in this series to bother them. And there are things that the Knicks have um, on their side in this particular series. But they're not playing against the Bucks here. You know what I mean? Like, they're not playing against the Boston Celtics. They're playing against a flawed team that was the fifth seed in the Eastern Conference. And if they win game five and they start to build a little bit momentum going into game six, like, there is a path to them doing this because two of the next three are in Cleveland where the Cavs have been very, very different. I'm not saying that they're going to do it, but I got the sense that there is a real belief that there is a path to 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 still winning this series against those odds. So I guess like the biggest thing for me is like they and I, I think there's a better chance of this not happening considering like, hey, they're really backs up against the wall now. They're going to be back at home tomorrow, but like you cannot start like they did on Sunday and like that game Sunday, you know, we, we talked about the X's and O's earlier, all of that being said, even with all that stuff, like they just looked lethargic. Like the Knicks were the ones who were playing harder. And I actually think most of the hustle stats like show that, but, but I, to me, that's like the biggest going to be the biggest tell tomorrow, like is what is that energy like early in the first quarter? And that's not necessarily going to dictate the whole game, but like Mm -hmm. my opinion is going to shift real quickly if it's like another start where guys just kind of are, are out there and look 
almost like stunned by the physicality again. Like I think that's when they're they're really in trouble and things could spiral quickly from there. So um, they have to have that mindset of we're at home and it it is this one game right now. We've been really good at home this year. We've been a team who, you know, has had our backs against the wall a lot. They lead the league and come from behind wins this regular season. Right. Like they have to make that a positive instead of making it kind of a negative, which is what it has been this series in that they haven't flipped that switch yet. And that was a problem for them all year. Well, Jared Allen said it after Sunday's loss, and it was a, a very, very surprising comment from him, but I think it was on point. And I love Jared because he's going to be um, blunt. He's going to be honest. And like he really thinks through some of his answers when the questions come his way. And he said, following um, game four, he said, like, there was a lack of desperation with us. And and I said to him after he finished that response, I said, Jarrett, how is that possible? Like, you're down 2-1. You're on the road. You're not in control of this series. Like, you need to steal home court advantage back. It would be one thing if the Cavs were the team that was up 2-1 and they're like, hey, we came to New York and we did what we needed to do. We got the one game from New York. We got home court advantage back, right? Like anything else that happens after this point is just found money. But it was the opposite. Like they were the team coming off the loss. They were the team that got their butts kicked by 20 points. They were the team that was on the road, backs against the wall, must win game, however you want to phrase it. And he said he saw a lack of desperation and it's just like crazy. And the way that he phrased it, and we talked about this on the podcast, is that like that's been a bad habit for the Cavs this year. They haven't yeah. always had the intensity right away. They haven't always had the attention to detail right away. They haven't always had the focus as soon as the game starts. Like sometimes they just ease their way into these games and there's a belief um, that they can turn it on. Now, the playoffs are very different than the regular season, and maybe it's been an eye-opener for them in the first four games, um, but but they're going to have to bring a different level of urgency from the opening tip than what they had um, on Sunday, because it just was not at a playoff level that it needed to be at. All right, so the Cavs-Knicks, game five, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. Chris will be there. I will be there. Again, I'm going to plug it one more time. Sign up to become one of Chris's Cavs insiders. Go to cleveland.com slash Cavs. Blue banner at the top of the page. You cannot miss it, I promise you. You'll get access to all the subscriber-exclusive stories there. You'll get texts from Chris via subtext. Shares all his insider information there before Twitter, before it makes it on the site. Um, you'll really be in the know with what is happening for this team. And quite honestly, no more important time to do that than before a closeout game. So the other option you have is to text 216-208-4499. I was trying to pull up something that I uh, texted to my Cavs insiders earlier this afternoon. So I said that one of the things that I've been hearing as these playoffs have gone on with Ricky Rubio struggling is that the Cavs are strongly encouraging Rubio to play for the Spanish national team this summer so that he can get those kinds of reps, that rhythm, shake off the rust, and continue to get like real hard, actual game-level competition going into next season as he continues yeah. to work his way back from this torn ACL. And um, 
I think based on how he's played in this series against the Knicks, like those are things that he definitely needs because if the Cavs are going to take another step, given their situation that they're in, um, they're going to need Ricky um, to to be more of a fixture of this rotation, more of a consistent um, piece of this rotation that gives them a little bit more production than what he has this year. Good stuff. Something you won't get anywhere else again, because that is not anywhere else currently that Chris has reported. No one else has reported that. So just an example. So Chris, I will see you tomorrow night at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse for a closeout game that's coming a little earlier than we expected. Yeah, should be a rowdy environment. Can't wait.